0: Welcome to Alive and Kickin', the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Baker Groove. Where happened to Jeff? My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. The one apparently, according to sources, remembers more than any other said 90s football podcast. I don't know, it's just claims that I've heard. <whistles> Anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you for downloading. This is episode 132. Yeah, 132. I noticed that yesterday. So if this is the first time that you're joining us, where have you been? There's 131 episodes of 90s goodness for you to go into the archive and listen to. Yep, we've covered pretty much. I'm not going to say everything because there's still more to come, but we've covered a lot. ...in these five years, I want to say, that we've been going now. So thank you to everyone who's been with us along that ride. And hello to if you are joining us for the uh, the very first time. You're joining us in, in a very good episode as well. Um, before we get on that, a little nod to the previous episode as well. Uh, our autobiographies episode, which was such a laugh. Um, I mean, they're always a giggle doing these uh, podcasts. But um, I think we got into some very strange but hilarious tangents... On the last episode uh, with John and Dan, who have written the Booked, the new uh, uh, title that you should put in your Christmas stocking, uh, as well as Joe as well. So, yeah, give that a listen to if you haven't already. Um, Today, we're going back to one of our themes. We've only done a couple of these episodes. So... um, Looking forward to this one, and uh, I think I say this on the show actually because we actually recorded this a while back, um, but I wanted to slip it in and um, this sort of third, I think third episode of this new series as we're recording it. Um, but yeah, it's a '90s icon episode, and that's be obvious. This probably should have been at least the first or the second, but we're going with it. Alan Shearer is the subject of today's podcast. Uh, we look back at the career of Alan Shearer during the 1990s, so, you know, there's a lot to cover. What with uh, Southampton, Blackburn, Newcastle, England. So, yes, we definitely, definitely get into that with uh, Matthew Christ, obviously our regular here on the show, and a returning guest who hadn't been on, I think, since the very early days. May episode in the first 10, I think it was, one of our transfer episodes. Good friend of mine, uh, former cohort on the... Uh, Sir Kids Magazine Circle, if that's a thing. Kids Magazine Mafia, I think I like to call it every now and then. Uh, Matt Ketchell, formerly of Match of the Day magazine, now in the freelance world. Uh, does a lot of Newcastle stuff on the uh, on the social. I'm sure you uh, Newcastle fans listening will be aware of him. One other icon I should obviously mention as well. Not so much 90s, but very much a football icon in general. More very much in the 80s, but there it would be remiss of me not to mention... Uh, the sad passing of Diego Maradona uh, this past month, um, or I should say last month, because we just crept into December now. Um, very sad, obviously. Um, 60 years old is uh, is no age to go. Uh, somebody who will go down as one of the greatest ever. It's, these these are things you you know already. I mean, in terms of 90s, his peak had obviously passed. In terms of 86, was. The Maradona with the Napoli stuff by ninety. There, there was a World Cup disappointment in uh, in Italy where Argentina lost. uh, You know the Ferrar around nineteen ninety four, although that was a fantastic goal against Greece. He was obviously sent home um, due to uh, drug allegations. So it's you know the nineties weren't probably Maradona's highlights in his career because there there came a lot of controversy, but there were moments of the pure genius of the man that we saw throughout his career and you can see that the amount of clips that have gone on around social media the stuff that the that the terrestrial channels have been doing showing stuff from the 86 world cup an absolutely just an icon of the game an absolute icon of the game and it, it, his aura will be sadly missed especially to those you know clubs that he represented and of course to those in argentina so yeah sad sad news on the death of Diego Maradona. Let's switch, though, uh, from one icon to another and today's episode on Alan Shearer. Uh, Before we do, though, just a quick reminder, you can follow us at AK90s on Twitter. And yes, it's December, so you know what that means. We have kicked off our hashtag 90s football advent for another year. Yes, it's the same pictures you see every year. I'm trying to find new ones, but there are only certain images, Christmas related and 90s footballer that you can find. But do check it out if you haven't seen it before. Every day until Christmas Day, I'll be posting a picture on our Twitter feed of a footballer in some sort of Christmas attire in the 90s as our 90s advent, So there you go. Yes. In the build to Christmas. Are you asking for anything 90s related in your Christmas stocking this year? I'd love to know if you are. The Corinthian family would love to know if you are. That seems to have gone mental this year. So maybe there'll be a few of them flying around on Christmas Day in the, amongst all the wrapping and everything else. But yeah, check it out on Twitter if you haven't already. We are on Instagram. Instagram? Instagram as well. Um, I need to post more on there. I apologise for not doing as much. But AK90s pod. And if you do... Love the show. If you have been with us for all this time or you are just joining us for a first few episodes of this series, please give us a five star rating and review on iTunes. It really means a lot. I really like hearing the nice things about the show and apparently helps all the analytical stuff on there as well. I don't get involved in that, but I should say it. So yeah, if you feel the need to in this, have you got Christmas spirit building up in your side of you, then yeah, do that. That'll be great. But that's talk big Al, big Alan Shearer. His 90s is discussed with me, Ketch, and Matthew Christ on today's show. Until next time, keep it
1: 90s. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us once again here on Alive and Kicking. It's good to be back in the brand new series where we're talking the decade that changed football forever once again. And joining me today, somebody I haven't heard from in ages. Well, two actually, two people I've certainly not heard from ages. But first, he's a regular to this show, but I haven't heard his dulcets for so long. Uh, he is a content creator for Fans Better, as we are just discussing, and of course, Brian McLare's best mate. How are you doing, Matthew Christ?
2: How's it going? Isn't it good to be back? It is, yeah. it's Just good to hear your voice. It is. Right. How's well, life- I've, I've, I've never, uh, never thought you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's all right. It's. I think, like most people now, I'm just getting. You know, the summer was a bit of a novelty and all that. And I actually, I think the last show we did, I was joking about how I wouldn't even notice it was anything was any different. But um, yeah, I think come this time of year and and uh, facing a potential second sure. sitting, I think I think we're all starting to think. Uh, we we i think we all dared to dream it would be over by now and it obviously isn't so uh, but you know can't complain i'm still fit and healthy and able to remember the 90s so uh, yeah. I'll, I'll take that
0: and how's brian McClair doing
2: yeah yeah he's all right I, I, one of the last sort of big sessions i had before this second lockdown was for my birthday we uh, we were out in glasgow and uh, we visited a few old celtic pubs down the down the gallagate which uh, he enjoyed it. It was funny because nobody recognised him at all. And then suddenly you'd see people clock on who it was, <laughs> and uh, suddenly the drink started coming over from the bar. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, he's, a, he's a good bloke to hang out with in those parts of Glasgow mm-hmm. because uh, yeah. you're certainly you're very popular suddenly with that big beard. That yes, beard yeah, the, 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 ca- um, the castaway look. Yeah, definitely the the lockdown look as it was pretty much in the
0: summer. I think we all had it. Um, yeah, Jeremy, but I think
2: he. He's looked like that for about three years. So
0: that's not like <laughs> yeah, uh, Join us today as well. Somebody who's been on this show before, but not, I think, early first ten episodes. I think uh, somebody I shared a lot of the beat with when he was formerly at Match of the Day magazine. Now on the gone on his own bravely that I've never done, <laughs> but he's joining us now. Geordie Fanatic, if it's something Newcastle, he's usually commenting on it on Twitter. Mr. Matthew Ketchel, which will be known today as Ketch. How you doing, Ketch?
1: I'm good, Ash. Thanks for having us on. I'm always available if you need someone to talk about Alan Shearer, so
0: pleasure <laughs> yeah, here. Indeed. Yeah, so you uh, enlightened the listeners there on what we will be talking about today, which is we're going to do one of our cult 90s heroes shows, which we, I think we've only done two actually, going back. We did Ian Wright when he was in I'm a Celebrity, to kind of cash in on the back of that. And uh, we did Janinho over the summer, which was one of the last episodes of the last series. So really, Shearer is one of them we should have done, which we will uh, we'll definitely get to. Uh, in a minute I think Ketch the last time you were on we were talking transfers that's how long ago it was which is kind of episode 4 or 5 go in the archive uh, and listen uh, to it back Um, but before we get into the sheerness and we can get Matthew's take on it being a United fan we know that twist to the story in the 90s as well Um, I want to talk to you Ketch firstly because if anyone who follows you on Twitter and we'll tell them where at the end of the show um, they would see your slight obsession that you've got over lockdown which is very very close to my heart and that is football shirts, and particularly Newcastle goalkeeping shirts. Tell us about your new collection.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of started in the last 12 months, or six months, shall I say, while everyone was out <laughs> panic buying bog roll. I was up panic buying many <laughs> football kits, specifically Newcastle ones, specifically goalkeeper shirts. I was a goalkeeper myself in the 90s, and a huge, my first hero was Pavel Cernicek, and during lockdown, we obviously had a lot more time on our hands. And it just occurred to me that I, you know, I had these, I owned these shirts when I was a youngster and i unfortunately got rid of few, a few mm-hmm. of them. Um, and I thought, look, the, the value, it's, it's the new Bitcoin for me. The value is only going up. Uh, yeah, so it's an, it's an investment. That's, that's, that's the uh, line I play with my missus it, this is an investment in our children's future. And I just started, I just started scouring the, uh, the usual haunts, eBay, Depop, uh, Twitter, People have been getting in touch with me uh, to say shirts are available, and I just wanted to to buy them all and own them all because, like I said, the value is going up, and they're, they're bits of history, and I and I want to own them, and, and they were fantastic. Something changed in 1990. The kit designs went up in volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the designs were louder, and it became a mass mass avail- you know mass availability. And, and, and the goalkeeper kits in particular were amazing. The ASICS kits Newcastle had between '93 and '95, There was four of them. They were all amazing. It, different, you know, multicolour, rainbow, blue, yellow. And I wanted to own all of them. And then Adidas came, did us a, an ama- the amazing Grand Annette colour. Uh, but also the goalkeeper kits were fantastic throughout that, right up until until 1999. And I'm actually wearing the 1999 Outfield shirt in yeah. long sleeves. This is actually my favourite kit, the kit that we lost the uh, FA cup final against man united too i yeah this is my all time favorite i don't think it gets better than this um and then it kind of i don't know since in the two post millennium it, it hasn't been as good um but yeah adidas and asics in the 90s you know untouchable and i, and I wanted to own as many of them and uh, yeah the collect the, the collection is good still a few holes in the collection but i'm sure i'll get there
0: you particularly come enamoured with, and I don't blame you because it's one of the great kicks. that we could call it the Pavel Cerncek kick, can not we? God bless his soul. Someone who was on, he's been on this show actually, one of his last interviews was on this show, and um, before he sadly passed away. But I, I don't know how to describe it without looking at it, but the kind of it's got little flashes of it. And I've seen you on, you've got trainers looking like it, it's on your Twitter banner now. It's it's come a bit of a session, like it, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I, I I think I described it as the rainbow shods. Yeah, that's that's good. So right it's like smashed. It's like smashed glass shards, in ra- in rainbow gradient yeah. on black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so whoever, you know what I mean? The nineties, you know, hell of a decade. Like but whoever was design, yeah, amazing job. And that and that was that was theoretically the home kit. But Pav used to wear. He used to just mix and match. He would wear the away Asics with the home shorts and. I think he just—he must have just loved the kits, and, and 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 there was four brilliant ones. The yellow one was only really worn by Mike Cooper. That's quite rare. I actually owned that one and still have it in a in a large large child's size with my name on the back. Uh, but yeah, it was just just amazing. And Pav was a, a really stylish goalkeeper, a very athletic goalkeeper. But he used to he used to customise. He used to wear his own padded shorts and he used to wear white socks no matter what the occasion was and uh, he, was, he always had his shirt tucked in and he was very athletic and, and, and very smartly turned out and I think he liked his, 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 his um, accessories, he loved his Puma Kings, Royce gloves and he never you would never see him with his shirt tucked out and uh, he, he wore it really well and he was my first hero, posters on the wall and you know, obviously tragic that we lost him in, in 2015 but um, he's always a legend in my eyes and, and, and those shirts are legendary as well and it's, it's a pleasure to own some of them.
0: Yeah, no, it was a pleasure to talk to. You. I couldn't believe when it was five years ago that he passed away. How our time flies, uh, Matthew. I know we, we passed a bit of shirts on here, aren't we? So, I mean, what, what, can you pick out some Man you know, United goalkeeper? I mean, Schmeichel had some great ones,
2: didn't he, back in the day? Well, great ones. Oh, I say some they're great. Dod, dodgy ones. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking there when uh, listening to Kets talking about goalkeeper shirts and shorts. What I miss about goalkeeper kits is when they used to wear the goalkeeping shirt, but then with the standard socks and yeah shorts of the uh <clears throat> the rest of the team remember i mean that was uh, you just don't see that now do you i mean goalkeeping kits are essentially standalone uh, uh, uh kits in their own right but i mean i remember i mean my probably my favorite Schmeichel one was about 91 92 and it was like a green kit but then it had like black almost like uh like a sort of tv interference on it i mean it wasn't, yeah. wasn't as gr- yeah yeah it wasn't yeah. sort of gr- as grotesque as the later one i mean the, yeah. The sort of the the first season of the Premier League, you know, he had those sort of horrible green padded things with all diamonds and triangles on it. But the one the season before that, the one where United lost the league to Leeds, and it was a I thought that was a, it was a classic because it, again it was green, and then you'd had the, the standard shorts and socks. But it was just a, I thought it was a great look. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm yearn for the days when keepers wear shirts but uh, the same socks and shorts as the uh, as the rest of the team but I doubt we'll ever see that because I think it's obviously a marketing ploy isn't it that uh, kids oh, yeah. not, only, not only have the shirt but they also have the, the socks and the shorts. I mean it, it, it did, there were cases, I remember Peter Shilton in that 86 World Cup, he was one of the first to have the <clears throat> the standalone kit wasn't he, he had the silver shirt, silver shorts mm-hmm. and silver socks so you did get the odd the odd one that would buck the trend but um, yeah it's just funny you know you, you just don't see keepers wearing wearing the socks and the shorts of the, of the, the
0: kit the uh, team anymore left behind for that weren't they They here's a goalkeeping shirt but you know we'll just use the same shorts and socks as the rest of the team I I think I've only I think I've only ever owned two goalkeeping kits actually which is Mm -hmm. oddly for somebody who you know loves kits as much as me Um, yeah
2: they've never really the people I had one I had the Chris Turner United one from about 88 and it was such a rarity to see them because I remember Mm -hmm. I remember looking in the back of match or shoot and seeing that they'd have all the kits for the following season and uh, and then sure enough there was a a goalkeeping kit and it was a, such a novelty to see and uh but yeah you don't you don't really see even people that wear kits a lot you know around town casually you very rarely see anyone in the pub in a goalkeeping shirt which do you? It's, yeah. just, it's just strange it's like they're more ready for the guy yeah. <laughs> yeah, out
0: goal- with, with a goalkeeper's top on
1: <laughs> if i saw anyone with a goalkeeping shirt in the pub i'd be straight up to them and, and i'd be back the, <laughs> drink and <chat>. but, but, <laughs>
2: the, the thing the thing is now they're not so much like goalkeeping shirts i mean some of them are no. just you know like basically yellow Shirts or pink, or you know, they're not. They're not like a classic where they used to have like the padded elbows and collars. I mean, they're they're almost just like leisure shirts, aren't they? So it's weird that they're not as not as popular. And, that's, and also, I just haven't. Yeah, modern people like,
1: love short sleeves as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, effectively, I, maybe I have seen somebody in the pub wearing a, a goalkeeper shirt and just didn't realise it was a goalkeeper shirt and thought it was a you know a leisure shirt. But but uh, yeah, I think there's something odd about people that wear goalie shirt, or not odd, but they're they're definitely unique. Sorry to anyone who wears goalkeeper shirts down the pub when we were allowed to go to the world <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I don't, I'm
0: not criticising them. I'm just saying they're a very,
2: very rare breed.
0: Last full kit I think I ever bought actually was a goalkeeping kit. I don't know if I've said this on the show before. We've done 120 odd episodes, so I probably have. But uh, the last goalkeeping kit, and I think full kit in general I bought was the England Euro 96 refreshers kit. I full on, because it was so ridiculous and so out there that like I just thought no how old I had been the time 96 so 12 so I thought yeah that would be the coolest look ever to to have the full-on refreshers short and socks and everything I remember walking the, uh, going to the shopping centre in it so not even going to football because I was so enamored with this ridiculously leery, um goalkeeping kit that um which, uh, David Seymour was wearing my favourite QPR one, though, from that era is also of that variety, like Larry variety, because as you say, catch, they, that's what they were in the 90s. Jan Stayskale used had this a luminous yellow and green kind of number that had almost a little bit like the Norwich Flex, classic Flex on it. It kind of looked a little, it looked like a Norwich kit basically, because it was orange and green. Um, but I've never, ever seen it in the world. I've, I've, I've scoured eBay. I think Tony Roberts, who was also a coach at the time, tweeted once of his, he had a shirt. and. I tried to bargain with yeah, him.
1: I think Reading had the same template. Yeah, possibly. On yeah. Yeah. He used to wear a quite tight stage girl, didn't
0: he? Oh, yeah, he liked it. My favourite goalkeeper of, of, of all QPR time, Jan stage He was the you know, World Cup keeper for 1990, yeah. So, yeah, I, I love that kit. We also have a quite multicoloured one as well the following season, but that always, that always stands out. Um, somebody who did, I'm going to segue straight now, somebody who didn't wear goalkeeper kits, and not, I think I'm pretty sure I'm he never went in goal is the subject of today's discussion um we as i said at the top of the show we're doing one of our sort of 90s cult he's more than a cult he's 90s legends really um heroes in terms of the one and only alan shearer is the subject of today's discussion um what we normally do in this episode we kind of just sort of discuss their career pinpoints and things we remember and certain um goals that we can we can look back on obviously we've got I mean, i fan to talk about the twist we've got, catch to at the end of the decade, but that's the start at the very beginning. As one famous Sydney Phil once said, "For you, a start of you, Matthew. What? Where, what's your earliest memory? Where did Alan Shearer register on on your radar?"
2: Well, I mean, obviously, the Southampton days. I mean, he, if you remember, he was sort of he was such a hot prospect in that Southampton team. I mean, he scored that hat trick on his full debut, didn't he, uh, against Arsenal in. 91 was it 92 i should he know was that, early, I, that i think it's actually, i think it's in the 80s yeah i believe yeah. i should i should know because i uh i did a piece about it and i should know but um, i'm <laughs> desperately trying to look now to see when it was 89. april 88. 88. 88, 88, 88 yeah um so he was yeah very much on the radar then and, and, and as part of that sort of samson team at the dell that always used to sort of cause an upset and you know had a decent decent side there with the uh, Letitia and uh you know several other big names but um, I think at the time I really realized he was hot property I went to see the England under 21 team about 91 was it 91 92 something like that and he was in that Europe that uh, England under 21 team with David James and a couple of other sort of high profile um, names that were sort of starting to come through on the radar back then and uh yeah everyone I remember everyone at school was talking about the fact that Shearer would be playing that night and uh I think it was against Turkey and um yeah, so we all knew exactly. You know, it, it was a bit like when Michael Owen was coming through the ranks. You started to hear noises about him and, and what he was, what he, what he was going to do. And then, uh, obviously, yeah, within a, probably a year of that, that under twenty-one games, I think that was ninety-one, ninety-two season. So obviously, within a year of that, he was the the big new signing at Blackburn, and we all knew about him. But um, yeah, it was. I don't. I, I definitely think you couldn't say it was. Sort of like he was an overnight sensation. I mean, he was. He was definitely plying his trade at Southampton and, and building a name for himself, and and I think everyone knew that he was going to go places. It was just a case of um, who and when and where. So uh, I mean, fair play to him. He did it the old school way, didn't he? He sort of crafted his trade and, um, and and bided his time. And obviously, there was a lot of interest there. But um, I, yeah, d- definitely the Southampton days. I remember him being a being a threat in a very sort of uh, Southampton team that were more than capable of turning people over at the Dell. I seem to remember i mean matthew what might have saying that we're slightly
0: younger than him in terms of our memories of Shearer. Of i mean when what when, when did he first come to your forefront and when did you know that he was obviously one of your own he was he didn't actually never make it at newcastle when he was a youngster he went to southampton as matthew said did score that amazing trick. went quiet for a little while and then kind of slightly as the 90s began exploded onto the scene what what are your first memories of him
1: well my first memories are are interesting because I'm going to reveal something that I've never revealed before. Ooh. In that, when I was when I was a kid and Shearer was a Blackburn, I didn't really like him because <laughs> I was such an Andy Cole man. Ah. she kept Shearer kept Andy Cole out of the England team, oh. and I was like, Cole, Cole's way better. Cole's way, and I because <laughs> all, all I watched was Newcastle. And then Shearer did his ACL and came back and scored at the Gallagher End for Blackburn at St James's Park. So we weren't too fond, fond of him. Um, but then obviously. He was just a phenomenal i mean winning the golden boots like in the in, in the you know ninety three and ninety four and he was thirty goals plus every every season he would score from all angles, so you you just knew of him as this prolific you know relentless goal scorer and then euro ninety six happened and 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 you just completely fell in love with him he he, he was it was such a sliding doors moment for him, obviously with them um, having gone through such a barren patch for the england team venables stuck with him, he finished top top goal scorer. And then, you know, the stars align and you have your hometown hero, who is the best footballer in the world, coming to play for your club in, in 1996 for the world record fee. And, and the, all, the eyes of the world are on Newcastle United again. And then from then on, it's just unadulterated love for Alan Shearer. But yeah, initially, I, I resented him for keeping Andy Cole out of the England team and, and scoring goals against Newcastle at the Gallagher then.
0: Mm, it's funny because I, I think I've said this before, but my dad never rated him. Like even in the later days when he was like you know as you say the best player in the world, my dad had this weird obsession of not rating Alan Shearer, and I used, and every year we used to you know do our dream teams as it was back in the day in the sun, dream teams first started fancy football, and I would you know you'd instantly try and pick Shearer in your team because he was the most expensive player, and my dad'd be like no no I'm gonna I'm, I'm going I'm gonna shun him for Gary McAllister or, or someone like that. I'm just I've never understood, I still have this, I think he winds me up about it now because it's a ridiculous thing to say, but at the time, I don't know what it was about, you know, my dad thought, maybe he was Les Ferdinand biased, maybe that's where that comes in. You had your Andy Cole, we had our Les Ferdinand, maybe the, the, the biases and, uh, came in there, maybe, possible.
1: Well, then they played together, they played together just one season and scored 49 goals combined. Yeah. Oh,
0: amazing, amazing punishment, we'll, we'll definitely get to that in a bit. Um, Matthew, you mentioned the under-21s there, I, the... The sort of narrative of Alan Shearer's career, actually, it goes back to a, a Toulon long tournament was reading about um, in 1991, which I, I assume was never televised because I've not seen any sort of actual video footage of it. But he scored seven goals in four games for the England uh, under-21s and they won the tournament. They beat Czech Republic, or oh, Czech Republic, as it was, uh, won the, in the final. He scored the goal and that kind of put him on more of the map of the of kind of a big prospect of the future um, I've got the team in front of me as well because it's always fun to look at an under 21 team from all that time ago um, you mentioned David James was in the under 2020 he was in goal and then alongside side look at these names we've got Jason Dodd who would have been in the Southampton team at the time Captain Chris Vinicum there we go there's a name that didn't last from the past Dean Blackwell Carl Tyler David Lee who's been on the show Damien Matthew uh, of Chelsea Brian Atkinson Rodney Wallace Shearer Paul Kitson Glenn Livingston, Richard Old, Paul Warhurst, Paul Williams, Stephen Manning Gordon Watson. Not many, not many there made full England debuts in the end, but they won that Tournament tournament. And as you say, he was at Southampton at the time, um, starting to rip up the league. Uh, Ian Brantford was the manager and towards the end of that 91-92 season, Brantford said he became the most popular manager in English football. So he took telephone calls from clubs all around the world trying to bargain with players they didn't
2: want to play clash on.
0: This is where the sliding doors also comes in as well, Matthew. Um, he could have signed for Man United in 1992. He went to Blackburn. Question, would you have had him? And if you had had him, would he have been
2: excess at that point in, in his career? Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, I don't think anyone would... I know, I know Shearer gets a bit of stick from United fans for... For allegedly turning them down twice, I'm not sure that was ever the case. But I mean, how hey, you could give the guy a stick? I mean, I think if anyone should get a stick, it should be United for not for not signing him. And, I mean, I think he would be the first to admit if he'd gone there, he would have he would have been a success. I mean, famously, that 91-92 season, United lost the league because they couldn't couldn't score goals. I mean, if you remember, they were sort of blown, you know they were flying at the start of the season, then the injuries hit, and QPR obviously recorded that famous four-nil win, and then after that defeat on New Year's Day, United just couldn't find the back of the net, which cost them a league that really they should have had sealed up by Easter. Um, so, I mean, if you'd had someone like Shearer in that team, um, yeah, they, they, it would have been a different story. I mean, you saw that the following year when, again, United struggled to score goals and then they signed Cantona and suddenly they he almost sort of tripled their goal tally almost overnight. Um, so you can only imagine what, what Shearer would have done. Um, and I think it would be daft if you if you thought otherwise really i mean how you what what team wouldn't want him in in their ranks i don't know so uh and then obviously they had the chance to allegedly get him again and uh couldn't but i but the yeah the first time round would have been the, the, the ideal time because it was just at that cusp of united coming good they had those famous failures in europe where they would often go out you know miserably against lesser opposition and you know again because they often didn't score goals so he would I think he would have been the ideal match really and an ultimate pro Fergie wouldn't have had any issues with him you know there wouldn't have been any of this arm around him having to sort out any issues with his personal life I think he would have just gone in there and been a been a model pro so uh, the classic if what maybe question but you know I, I think it's a I think it's a question that we don't really need to go into too much analysis because I just I think it would have been a success for both parties really mm,
0: what do you reckon Ketch? do you think if he'd gone to United we'd have, we'd have seen him, I mean it's hard to say bigger success at that point but what, what, what are your thoughts on Shearer I mean he may never have found his way to Newcastle if he'd gone to United at that point
1: yeah of course I mean he could have, he could have gone there and done his knee and never played again it's kind of pointless talking about it because anything anything can happen in football you need you need a lot of luck um it's not really spoken about much, actually. That the, 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 there was a move to Man United potentially in 1992. He chose Blackburn. He had his reasons, and, and that was a massive success. I mean, he scored 31, 34, and 31 league goals in, his, in three successive seasons, and it's difficult difficult to beat that. He won the league. Yeah. Uh, he took the league off Man United. So he, it's kind of it's kind of pointless arguing about it. Yeah, if he'd gone to Man United in '96, he might have won more trophies. But I think he still had an amazing career, captain England. Champions League nights in Newcastle he was there was a buzz around the city he was the focal point he was our leader and he he is a legend it was ten unbelievable years and uh, I I genuinely don't think he has any regrets and it's kind of pointless wondering what might it be
2: Yeah I I was I always say that and I've said this on this show before I don't think in hindsight it's easy for people to say oh he should have gone to United but at the time I don't think I think he was well within his rights I think Newcastle was seen as the team in the ascendancy I think United when he could have gone there in 92, remember United had just blown the league and they hadn't won the league for 26 years and he could well have thought, that, you know, this isn't the, the club for me. And Blackburn obviously had a lot of potential and big backing, so I don't blame him at all for making that call. And <clears throat> certainly the second time as well. You know, it's easy for people to say, oh, you know, he made a big mistake by not joining United. Maybe in hindsight, but at the time, again, some of that United team were coming to the end of their yeah. reign. You know, there was a bit of a sort of a, is there going to be a second revival? We didn't know about the necessarily the class '92 and how they would go. So I've got absolutely no uh, blame or no qualms about him joining Newcastle at the time. I mean, now when you look back, people almost scoff as if it, if it was some kind of ridiculous decision. But I think it, I think it was his hometown team. He's always wanted to play for them. It, it was a it was a, a, a marriage made in heaven, really. So he, he yeah, like you say, I hope I hope he doesn't regret it because I don't think he should.
1: Yeah, it was, a no, it was a no-brainer. I mean, Newcastle had had that incredible season, 95, 96. The entertainers pushed Man United really close and, and, and fell at the final hurdle, but played unbelievable football, had the most exciting manager in the world in, in charge. She, Newcastle was Shearer's hometown, the, the town he supported as a boy. There was unfinished business there. Keegan was his hero as a kid. It was a no-brainer for him to go there. But what, what yeah. twisted the narrative was, the, was things Shearer said himself, where he spoke to Alex Ferguson, and he went house hunting in Manchester and he imagined himself uh, playing alongside Roy Keane and, and everyone else. And he, he went to bed, he, it say, he says it in his book, he went to bed dreaming of playing, wearing the Man United shirt, dreaming of playing for Man United. And then the next day he met Keegan. And yeah. then Keegan was Keegan and you know sold, sold him and, and the dream, which, was, which at the time was, was feasible. And then Keegan wanted him so much, he demanded a second meeting. Um, so he had two meetings and just showed him how, how much he wanted this. And it, it all just clicked, so it wasn't... I don't think it was... It would have been weird if Shearer had gone to Man United. People would have went, well, why haven't you gone to your hometown club yeah, yeah. with your home yeah. with your, your boyhood hero in charge? Newcastle just about to expand the stadium. They've got a bottomless pit of money. They've nearly won the league. If you go, you're the final piece in the puzzle and you probably will win the league. It was, an, it was a, no, a no-brainer. <laughs> and, and, and I think if he... Honestly, I think if he had his time again, he would come to Newcastle but maybe do things a little bit differently.
2: Yeah, I think there's an, a slight element of arrogance as well among United fans that think, oh, oh you know, I can't believe he turned us down, you know. But like I say, you've got to remember that, yes, United have won the league in 95-96, but, I mean, could easily have and should, should have been Newcastle, you know, and, we, and then we obviously didn't know what was going to happen to United in the, in the coming years, you know. The, those kids that were coming through could have easily not worked out. I know they did win the league that year, but, I mean, that doesn't mean they weren't, they could, weren't going to be a one-season wonder, whereas... Like you say, Newcastle, everything seemed to be in place—the the backing, the the, the money, the, the stadium, the manager. I mean, it was. I do think the Newcastle were probably seen as being the team in the ascendancy of the mid-nineties that people thought they would would. All right, they'd blown the league, or, or not won the league the year before, but it, it was almost like a matter of uh, if and where. A bit like maybe Liverpool now. You know, I mean, they had their their, their sort of high-profile. Uh, slips didn't they but I mean it was almost on the cards that they were going to come good at some point and you could say that Newcastle were that sort of team back in the mid-90s and this may have just been the final uh, piece of the jigsaw obviously we know now that wasn't the case but I mean there's no reason to have thought that that they wouldn't do that back then
0: it's it's an element of that argument that people think because I was actually having this discussion um, with my father-in-law this morning about him joining Newcastle ahead of May and he said oh can you imagine Harry Kane doing that now going to sign for steve bruce you know if he was a newcastle fan and i was like it wasn't the the fact that it was newcastle of course and his hometown club made sense but people seem to forget that they were as you both were saying and i completely agree that they were the team they were the team on the ascendancy, they were the team at the moment they were the neutrals favorite you know they were
2: almost they were almost the manchester city i mean if you'd said to somebody in 95 96 that man city in 20 odd years would be the team that everyone wants to go to and they've got pots of money you'd laugh wouldn't you because they were in the second yeah. division, if not third. So, I mean, these teams, you know, teams do have their sort of moments in the sun. I mean, obviously you get your big teams that seem to always be there, you know, that will always attract their these names. But there's no reason why Newcastle wouldn't have been a, a, a huge temptation for any player then. And it wasn't just Shearer, was it? I mean, there were a load of players that went there because because of what they thought they could achieve. So, well, it's... Yeah, uh,
0: you know, the season before, you know, he had his bigger clubs. Arsenal were in for him, Spurs, and he was a... You know, kind of similar he was a Spurs fan as growing up he didn't want to go there as soon as Newcastle came in, he saw yeah. Yeah, well in 96,
1: bit... in 96 in Inter Milan Barcelona and Juventus were also in for him Everton yeah. as well but it was, an, it was 50% emotion but 50% the right move to make because yeah, yeah. Newcastle were, were one, one player away from well theoretically one player from winning the league and that, and that was Shearer and you thought we'll just sign the best player in the world he's just, he's just won the golden boot at Euro 96 we can't we can't not win the league now. And then we lost 4-0 in the Charity Shield.
0: <laughs> I remember that
1: game.
0: I remember that because of the, the hurrah around it in terms of, you know, Alan Shearer's first game. The Charity Shield still kind of meant something back in the 90s. It was, it was called the Charity Shield, which we, you know, I don't know about UK, but I still call it that unless I'm lightning a kick. Um, but yeah, it was one of those, oh, obviously, the, you know, the narrative of the season changed slightly when he scored in the 5-0 and, and, and things like that. Um, we haven't quite stuck to the timeline here, but it's fine. We're, I knew that be, I knew that would be the case. Um, but no, I, th- I think you're right. I think he went there knowing that Newcastle could and maybe should, as we all you know, won the league in that year under King. And, and for whatever you know, for the many of the reasons, it, it didn't quite work out. Um, just going back to some of the facts that we, we kind of missed out on as we were talking for his career. There, I mean. It, the summer of '92, after the appearing for England at Euro '92 um, with one appearance and no goals, but you know Euro '92 is not a tournament looked on fondly. We um, I, I, I didn't mention his England debut because I get to say I was there. That was my first ever Eng- my first ever football match was Alan Shearer's. Alan Shearer's England debut, England France, February 1992. A full eleven months before I went to my first QPR game in that December. Well, yeah, I was at Wembley for that. Him and Gary Neville played up front. Uh, I think they played half each. Um, in terms of, um, and, play, and there was some sort of crossover between the two of them. They both scored a goal. he was kind of passing the torch, Lineker and Shearer, and then they played a few games together at Euro 92 before Yossi retired. He was, he drew Blackburn that summer for 3.6 million, aged 22, with David Speedy reluctantly moving in the other direction. At the time, that was a British record, 3.6 million. It seems crazy now, doesn't it? Um, scored on his debut for Crystal, uh, to Crystal Palace twice, and then went on scored 16 goals in 21 games of that season. Obviously, he got injured. And didn't help England's um, qualification for 94, which it hampered that. I mean, that's the thing as well. We haven't gotten to yet. He had two big injuries, didn't he, catch, in, in kind of the 90s? And you look at his stats, and he saved 30-plus goals most of the 90s, footballer of the year twice, PFA player of the year twice. People forget an ACL, especially in the 90s, can also you know be a career-ender, but he bounced back and his stats, you wouldn't believe he had those stats even though he had those injuries as well, would you?
1: No, well, Obviously, to do an ACL in the early 90s is really dodgy territory because there yeah. wasn't the, the medical science that there is there now. And the mad thing about his uh, ACL is that he, I think he, he played on with it. I think he might have even finished the game. It's and then had a, yeah, had a couple of weeks off and tried to play again against Cambridge in the Cup and lasted you know, about 20, 30 minutes on a ruptured ACL. Came off and then went to see another specialist who diagnosed it as an ACL. But then he made a, a quite miraculous, miraculous recovery and he was, he was pretty much back for the following season. But then Daglish famously didn't play him for a number of games and Shearer was chomping at the bit on the bench. And then eventually when he did get in the team, the goals just, just flowed and, and, and Blackburn went on to do what, what Blackburn did. So there was an ACL in the early 90s. It's amazing that he, he, he survived that and, and, and had the career he did on a reconstructed knee. And then, of course, when he did his um, ankle really badly um, in the Umbro Cup at Goodison Park, right at the end of the game, it was a wet game, um, he he landed badly on his ankle, awful dislocation, break, ligaments, and we just sold Les Ferdinand to Tottenham that day to raise funds. Tino had gone back to Parma, and all of a sudden you're left with John Dal Thomason up front and Shearer out for the best part of a year, so... Yeah, he's, he's lost two seasons there, and he he was also quite injury prone in general. I remember he always had groin injuries. I think he had like he had staples in his groin. I remember I remember thinking that can't be much fun. Read, I remember reading that in the paper. He, he, so he's probably lost about three seasons to injury, mm-hmm. uh, and then so it's it's really amazing that he got to 260 goals in the Premier League, um, and also he scored 23 goals in. The old division one, which don't count with Premier League tally, so totally, yeah. you know, When Harry Kane starts getting closer to 260, I'm going to start bringing these 23. <laughs> <up. So> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> he's he just he was just he was just prolific, prolific, and um the, the injuries. I think that's his biggest. We talk about do I does re- Shiro regret going to Man United? I don't think he does that. I think he regrets getting injured, and that's really what hampered him in his career. But to overcome those and, and, and do what he did is amazing.
0: Matthew, finishing on the kind of Blackburn days, because you, Remain and I, were obviously involved in, in two seasons, particularly in the title race. What, what do you, is there any particular goals or moments you remember? I mean, I remember a couple of goals at Ewood Park that Shearer scored against United in the, the, the first season
2: he was there. What, what are your memories yeah. of Blackburn? Yeah, that was, that's, uh, just came to my mind there. I was trying to work out what season that was, because it, it was a sort of a, a Super Sunday game, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, sort of coming into March time, and I think they were both going for the title, and uh, yeah, Shearer scored a couple of classic sheer goals to beat beat united and that was that real moment where i think a lot of people didn't take blackburn seriously you know it was all a bit of a again we're used to these clubs now coming through and having money and, and winning things like like um, city you know that's kind of kind of it's it's almost the norm now you know but um but then it was almost a bit of a, a joke i mean i don't think anyone really took Leicester, uh, blackburn seriously they didn't always get the biggest crowds they didn't have the biggest away following but i didn't have had an issue with that i thought that was what they were and i i thought well that's that's good they haven't got you know, a lot of glory supporters, but um, but I think that that game and that sort of title running really made people sit up and take notice because, you know, I think people thought it was all a bit of a flash in the pan, Blackburn, but um, but certainly that game of, I think it was about March 19... Or oh, was it? Was it that that season? No, I'm, I'm trying to know whether that, it was yeah. a season. Yeah. yeah,
0: it was definitely the first yeah. season. It wasn't wasn't the season they won the league. It was, it was no, the but, it was, but it
2: was. But I mean, they they ran United close that season, yeah. didn't they? If you remember, United had a. quite a big lead around about Christmas I think they're about 10-12 points clear and everyone thought they were going to walk it which I mean they obviously did in the end but United had a a few slip ups they had the uh, you know there were some some suspensions and injuries and suddenly Blackburn started looking like they were you know a team worth taking note of which they were and then sure enough another season on and they were they, they were the team that that went on and clinched the league and deservedly so. I mean, again, people always say, oh, you yeah, know, they bought the league, which is the most ridiculous accusation ever. I mean, I don't think they spent, I think United spent more than them mm. in the, the previous year. You know, I mean, I know they bought a couple of high profile players and, and, and Shearer was one of them, but I mean, it wasn't like they went out and spent 10 times more than anyone else at all. Um, so no, they won it, they won it fair and square. Obviously United had a few issues. Cancel was suspended and, you know, all these things that, 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 combined, you know, for one reason or another, but they were certainly worthy champions. I mean Blackburn could have been, could have quite easily won that Premier League twice in the in the yeah. early mid nineties. So um, so yeah, that was that was the game I that springs to mind when you mentioned it from a United point of view was that, that was that sort of high profile. Because United didn't tend to lose like that then, you know, they would they click into gear when they were going for a league and it was sort of they you know they had that sort of Fergie mentality and to and to go to a Blackburn who were still seen as a sort of upstart to get beaten like that. Yeah, on a live in front of a live audience was quite a big statement of intent, I seem to remember. So, uh, yeah, that's the that's the first one. I'm sure there'll be others that I, if I really thought about it, but um, that's the first one that came to my mind definitely. He's got a free kick, I think, against Arsenal uh, KPR. I think it's that season. We were in an all red kit
0: um, with CSF as the sponsor. So it would have been an e part. But again, it was another string that went to his bow. Um, we'll talk about his, his strings in a second, but just wrapping up um, Blackburn. So he scored forty. 41 goals in 40 games for Blackburn in that first season, and he was football-rise player of the year. The following season, as we've said, he, he won the league with him and Chris Sutton, famous SAS title victory at Anfield on the last day of the season, and he was PFA player of the year. Famously said that he celebrated the title win by creosoting the fence, but I think that was classic sheer humour, as we have all known to come and love as a, a match-of-the-day pundit. The following season, not successful. Um, he did pass the hundred goal mark for Blackburn um, with a goal uh, against Coventry in September 1995, and ended that season at Blackburn and his career there with 130 goals in all competitions before heading off to Euro '96. Uh, we'll talk about Euro '96 and the move to Newcastle once again after this short break. Join us then on Alive and Kicking. Thank
1: you, you, you. Thank you. All right,
0: good luck on Thank, Thank you. Alan!
1: Good you, Al. Thanks. Alan!
0: Alan! Thank you. No, Daddy, I a happy meal. But
1: I don't want to go anywhere near McDonald's. Good evening, how may I help you? Erm, um, give us a minute. Any old sir? Got no caches, sir. A
2: check, all right.
0: Yeah. Is that a problem? I'm sorry, sir, your signatures don't match. It doesn't match. I'm sorry. You're joking on you. Can I have another example? There you go. Thanks. We're back. Thank you for joining us once again. And we're talking, Alan Shearer, we're going into the nitty-gritty now. Um, We've talked about Blackburn. We've talked about all things. We've gone off all sorts of tangents here, talking about the big man. Um, We're going to talk about the moment he signed for Newcastle. I wanted to get catches, you know, taking you back to that summer of 96. When was that? I think I've said this before. I found out that Shearer had signed for Newcastle. I think I was watching the Olympics. I always think it's the Olympics. It may be Wimbledon. I can never quite remember the, the timeline, but I think it was the Olympics. And then suddenly Des Lynham came on screen and said, oh, breaking news. Because, you know, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have Sky Sports News in 1996. And he said, look, you know, Alan Shearer signed for Newcastle. And I just remember being blown, like, oh, wow, that's it. They're going to win the league. When and where were you when you found out that, that you know, the hero was coming home to, to
1: the team? So I was still drunk on, on Euro 96. <laughs> as, I, as I do in Scotland on my 11th birthday was, uh, you know, I didn't think that life could get much better. And then uh, you're kicking your heels as you do during the, uh, the summer holidays. And um, I was in my living room and my mom came through and said, your dad's on the phone. <laughs> my dad was at work. And I was like, well, what? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a good dad never called. Yeah, I know that.
1: <laughs> Why is my dad's ringing Yeah, Free yeah. internet. Um, probably wasn't even using CFAX at the time. So I pick up the phone. I don't say a word. And my dad just goes, Sheerah signed for the tune. And then it's just... Um, um, pandemonium, like high as a kite, ran straight to the shops, bought bought the Evening Chronicle, and it's it's just total delirium. Like you cannot you cannot, you cannot believe it. I mean, it's like it's hard to even think of an equivalent now. Like Harry Kane signing for for Man City, maybe, but hometown lad, you know, coming to play under under Keegan, we're playing such exciting football as it is. We've got you know we've got Les Ferdinand, Tino. Beersley Gillespie and then Shearer's coming. He's just he's just you know annihilated the best defences in Europe at Euro '96, and then and he's and he's coming home, and um, and that was obviously the Bedell and Skinner song had it, it, had been the anthem of the summer, and it, it lent nicely to uh, Shearer's coming home. And mm-hmm. the Chronicle had a big campaign. There was you you get like bumper stickers with Shearer's coming home. I think I had that on the back of my parents' car for for the rest of the '90s. Shearer's was <laughs> coming home. as
0: well. Yeah, and
1: then. And then it was kind of you know pictures. He was whisked off to a preseason uh, tour in Japan, I think. Um, so we didn't see him. And then they came back and huge reception out the back of the Leesers end, you know, thousands of fans. I think it rained that day, but there was you know 15,000 fans out the back, and uh, he did his press conference, and you know, famously said, "I'm just a I'm just a cheap metal worker's son from Gosforth," and so John Hall's there, Keegan you know, in in the kit and it's just like you can't, you can't believe you can't believe it's happening to you. Um and as and as a, an eleven year old lad it it, it it doesn't get doesn't get any better. And unfortunately you think this is the way it's gonna be forever. <laughs> Breaking world record transfer fees to sign strikers. It, but it, unfortunately it's a it's a one off you know that, that, yeah, that transfer fee stayed until where uh, Michael Owen arrived.
0: And then I mean until rough. that was ages of it, the Michael Owen record transfer until, was that John into Was that the, when it was broke?
1: Yeah. Amazing, amazing.
0: Um, Matthew, just previously to that, he had obviously started Euro 96 and he would be remiss of us not to mention Euro 96 because it's a tournament that's dear to all our hearts and we've done an episode upon episode of it here so we don't need to, to talk too deep into it. But his performance is... At that point, he was, you know, as as Ketcher said, one of, if not the best striker in the world. Obviously, the big thing him going into it, he hadn't scored for 12 games. <laughs> Benavides had stayed with him. He scores against Switzerland, and he's off to the races. But he proved on a world stage there that he, he was the real deal, wasn't
2: he? Yeah, and and obviously I was delighted because me and a group of mates had backed him at 16 to one to be the top scorer at Euro '96. You know, no, no How do we go? To the episode? Look, well, we're not quite <laughs> late
0: before you've got your betting reference in the nineties.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just one of those bets. I remember a mate coming around going, do "You know, Shearer's is sixteen to one to be the type." And, and obviously, it was based on uh, form because he hadn't scored for twelve odd games. But um, but uh, yeah, we we just decided to all stick a tenner on, um, which was big money back then when you were sort of in the sixth form, or whatever. And uh, yeah, and he got off to a flyer, and then he obviously he just as the tournament progressed, it just got better and better and uh, yeah I mean from a personal point of view it was fantastic to win that sort of money but he was he was just in that vein of form where he was just lethal wasn't he I mean he, and he was obviously a, you know he was a penalty taker as well but he was a poacher and he was a creator I mean he was just a just went hand in hand with that that sort of England side you know exciting and creative and uh, um yeah, I mean, so a double whammy, really. It was great to watch, and it was also great at the end of the tournament to go in, into a bookie's, Not none of this online, on your phone stuff, I actually go into a bookie's and hand over a betting slip and and pick up, you know, 150-odd quid when you're uh, 18 years of age. So um, it'll always, I'll, I'll always be in his debt for that. If I ever see him, I'll uh, I'll use some of that 160 quid to buy him a bottle of brown ale.
1: Okay,
2: do so you think he's often... Not overlooked, but when we talk about England strikers and they, people do their best
0: 11s, and we've all done those sort of features in, in magazines and stuff, because he, for his own, you know, he'd stopped his English career short because he wanted to prolong his career, which probably makes you love him even more. But because it was that short stint at the time, do you think he's overlooked for the, you know, the Rooney's, the Linekers, and so forth?
1: No, no, I don't. I think, I think whenever you talk about the best English striker, he's always in, he's always in that conversation. Uh, it was just a volume of, of games he. 60 odd caps, 30 goals. It's not a bad record. He, he he played in the major tournaments. I think the big regret for me is I think Sven tried to talk him into playing at Euro 2004. Okay. When we had uh, Vas Darius Vassell and and Michael Owen, and I think that might have been one for him to 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 come into. So, but he'd made his mind up, and he he was very you know he was he was very strong-minded person, but. Whenever you have conversations about the greatest ever English striker, it's always going to be Shearer, Rooney, Lineker. So he did he did great stuff for England, and and he knew his body better than anyone, and uh, he knew the way the game was going and the speed it was going. He wouldn't have been able to do. He needed that rest. He needed international breaks. to, to he had he had a bad knee, he had a bad ankle. You can't. You just, the volume of games it's just not going to be possible. And um, I think it was the, it was the right call. And he probably did everything he could with England. Maybe if he'd had one more spin with a major tournament, things would have been different. But like, like you say, you can't. there's no point in looking back like that.
0: And he did lift the Le You know, He haven't lift many trophies as as, <laughs> as England fans. You haven't seen him seen, But he did lift the Tomois in, in 1997. Um, I'm going to ask you both, favourite England goal from Alan Shearer? I mean, we could step outside. You know, I know you went slightly into the next decade, but Matthew, first, your favourite England goal from Alan Shearer? Oh, you, you've caught me out there. Um... Well, I'll tell you mine while you, you, you're thinking about it. I think mine is... Eh, I was going to say um, the the Georgia one, the free kick, the classic one with with Teddy Sheringham, just because it was so innovative at the time. You didn't really see indirect free kicks are kind of one of those things you don't really see in football very often anymore, do you? So to do that and to do it at that angle and spank it like he did was was one of my favourite goals. And he did another one. I want to say it's against Portugal. He absolutely leathered it from just outside the box, you, where you expect most players that they probably would have taken it on a couple of touches, tried to maybe go on the keeper, and he just spanked it and he hit the top corner. That's one that sticks out. Uh, catch any that stick out for you?
1: Yeah, so so many. The Moldova one. Um, my uncle Ray bought his boots that he wore in that game in an auction, and I remember putting them on when I was a kid. Um, so that was I wore. I had those boots worn, and they, they were the boots he did his ankle in. And they'd cut the laces to get his ankle out. So there was no laces on, on one of the boots. And So I, had his, I, I remember wearing his specials in my Uncle Ray's house, thinking this is going to give me magical powers. Like um, Jimmy Grimble. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of England goals, I remember a couple, but I, I remember for sheer relief, Euro 2000, the diving header against Germany to sneak the 1-0, which was a very tight game, very important goal. I remember for sheer relief. But then in terms of my favourite of all time, I think the Holland one. Gazza sharing and the layoff, and then he just cuts across it and fires it into the top corner for the, in in the Holland four one game. I think that's, yeah. that was pretty pretty decent team goal. Yeah,
2: I, I was just thinking that when you get you giving me time there to to reminisce. I was going to say that the one against Germany in the semi final in '96 because it clinched the bet that won me yeah. my money. But <laughs> but in terms of uh, yeah, I mean it's not just the goal, is it? It's that whole atmosphere and it's the whole that night and the fact that it just, you know, when you watch that game back, like we did many times in the summer, because they seem to keep showing it Euro 96 last summer. But uh, you know, you can, it just takes you straight back to that moment, doesn't it? So uh, yeah, I'm going to go with that, the Holland game at Wembley. Yeah, definitely good, good, good memories. Right, let's we'll bring
0: this to a close bar with a few more bits from the new latter end of the decade and these Newcastle days. Um, catch, I mean, the title win didn't come. Obviously, but the memories still hold. There was some great stuff. There was some cup finals, as you mentioned earlier in the show. There was a partnership with Les Ferdinand. What, if you could pick out from those early years, I mean, I always remember a game against Leicester, was it? He scored a hat trick? it. He was 3-1 down, I want to say, on a Sopa Sunday, I think it was. And he It seemed that it was one of those games where he turned it around, like, a bit like beckham in 2001. It felt like Shearer just went, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save this game, and you end up winning 4-3. I mean, he had that about him, didn't he? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, he, he, he won us games. He was... I mean, he was the player. He had everything. He had technique, timing, strong in the air, instinct. He was our free kick taker, penalties. And there was a joke amongst Newcastle fans that um, he was – he was the, well, he was definitely the best crosser of the ball. And, and there was a joke amongst Newcastle fans was that if he could just get on to the, to the end of his own crosses, we might be onto a good thing here. Um, a standout memory for me is it, it's a game that uh, I think about so much. And in terms of sliding doors, it's the um, – 1999 semi-final against Chelsea. Um, it was Wembley's last year, so whoever got to the FA Cup final that year, it would have been the last final. It was 1999-2000. And we're playing Chelsea in the semi-final at Wembley. We're playing fantastically well, um, but go goal, goal behind against the run of play. Um, and then we're battering Chelsea, and Shearer gets the ball down down the right-hand, right-hand flank. I'm, watch, I'm at Wembley that day with my dad. I'm watching it from the back of the stand Ashira he 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 absolutely tears Frank Lampard one whips in an amazing cross and Rob Lee scores a header and uh, I wrote I wrote a piece on this uh, last season but it's kind of it's kind of um, gone down in folklore that goal is the most uh, ferociously celebrated Newcastle goal because the circumstances of it were we were battering Chelsea Bobby Robson was back in the dugout and you know things things were things were the tide was turning um, and it was going to be us in our third, could have been the third FA Cup final in a row, um, with Sir Bobby in the dugout um, to play Aston Villa in the final, and, and it was like we're going to we're going to win this game, we're going to go to the final, and we're going to we're going to lift the FA Cup, and it's going to be the start of a whole new era. And then of course, Gus Poyet scores, and we lose two one. <laughs> uh, but 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 Shira, he, he was all, he was just our leader, and he, he created a buzz, and he was just great at winning free kicks, buying time in the corner. Um, he was our best defender he was good at getting players like Roy Keane sent off um, I don't know Christ where we'd be without him he, he just dragged us into the, into the Champions League and and, um, and yeah he, he, was, he was an absolute legend and uh, things, things off the pitch didn't go very well but on the pitch everything good about Newcastle came for Alan Shearer
0: mm. I, I, I kind of want to finish on that because it was so beautiful Kitch, but I, I, we cannot mention a couple of the darker moments from the 90s that, that Shearer had yeah um, obviously the new lennon incident from what season was that i want to say the 97 98 season where he was charged. yeah and he and he kicked well allegedly no, that, kicked was, that was
1: lennon should never have headed Shearer's foot that night <laughs> it was disgraceful for lennon the, the interesting thing about that is if he if he got sent off he would have missed the 98 cup final um but he didn't get sent off and uh it's a it's a it's an interesting one that was it on purpose was it not yeah. did he boot someone in the face on purpose I don't know. I don't know. But he was He was lovely. I've seen him given, Ash. I've seen him given. <laughs>
0: I've seen him given. And the other, of course, and um, I will get Matthew's opinion on this before we come back to your Ketch. is the Rid situation at the end of the decade. I mean, if there was an example of how much Shearer meant to Newcastle and possibly how much sway he had as well at the club, it was the, you know, the scenario that night against Sunderland in the pouring, pouring rain when it came to a head, he was on the bench, and I mean, it, it's one of those alluring images in the 90s, isn't it, Matthew? That you know, the breakdown happened and
2: Shearer won, yeah. Well, talk about pitting sort of player against manager, wasn't it? And there was only going to be one winner from from what I could see, obviously, from an outside point of view. I mean, Ketcher obviously, no, it would have been Nick a lot closer to it than any of us, but um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it was the classic, you know, who are you going to back me or the gaffer, and I think. I think there was only going to be one winner there, wasn't there? And, and that's ultimately what happened. So, yeah, you know, a stupid. Uh, I mean, talk about picking a fight—you're never going to win. But uh, you know, maybe that says something about the personality of someone like Hullet. I mean, I don't know—I don't know the guy. But I mean, sometimes you get these managers come in and they've got this obsession with sort of doing things their own way and and forcing their own their own opinion on the club. And and, and nine times out of ten, it never seems to it never seems to work for them, does it? But I mean, that's probably one of the most famous examples we can think of because um, I, mean, I know we've discussed it before on this show I think we, when we did the week in the 90s we discussed it how it, it was so iconic The you know him on the bench the pouring rain the, the local derby and uh, and then what what came of it but uh, yeah it's, I mean if anyone's going to do it it's going to be Sheer, isn't it so uh, I'm not sure did they ever did they ever sort of bury the hatchet because they must have worked with the BBC yeah on the BBC
1: didn't they yeah, yeah so they did yeah. they did um, the uh, Will Cook uh, 2014, yeah. did the entire tournament together, and uh, obviously kiss, kissed, and made up. And I think Rude Rude said to him. Actually, I actually interviewed Rude Hullett and asked him directly about this, and uh, he, he said he was. He basically said, you know, I was I was young and arrogant and thought I knew best, and and, and in hindsight, it obviously wasn't the wrong decision because it, it all it all ended in tears, basically. Um, and then and they're really they're really good pals now. But the interesting thing about it is that the the relationship had deteriorated early 1999 and and I think Rude had decided he wanted the old guard out he wanted Rob Lee out he made him train with the reserves he didn't quite do that to Shearer but he wanted control of the dressing room and those those were influential players he wanted them out and Shearer said if we'd won the cup final against Man United in 1999 Shearer would have probably left that summer because Hullet was the man would have been the man and he would have went well I want it my way and he probably would have sold Shearer and then obviously that's Continued into the 99-2000 season. We played Sunderland. Very, we got off to a terrible start. I think Shearer was sent off in the, in the opening game at home at Aston Villa. And then by the time we play Sunderland at home, things have, have, have reached such a point that Shearer and Duncan Ferguson are on the bench. And Shearer's on the bench thinking, I need us to lose this game because if we stay, uh, Hullard's going to keep it, stay in the job and I'm going to need to find another club. So a crazy scenario, really, to have uh, you know Paul Robinson, uh, who was actually a Sunderland well, fan as a kid, yeah. He was up front. Ferguson and Shearer on the bench. Poor and rain. Should have been called off, but I'm glad it wasn't. I'm actually glad we lost to Sunderland because Hull left. Shearer stayed and the rest is history. I
0: wonder where Shearer would have gone at
1: that stage. I think he would have gone to Liverpool or Villa. Those were the two clubs. That's, that's an interesting...
0: That's one of those... Yeah, no, we've talked about lots of light doors moments. And that's definitely one of them. But yeah, I remember that vividly, yeah. So yeah I've, I read in your time my earlier um, catch, in those years at Match of the Day magazine, you never got to speak to Alan, did you?
1: Ah, well... You, you you led me on to a great story now that I can tell Ash. So I spoke I I interviewed him on a on a golf course when in in my job before match of the day. Very briefly, and he was very nice. He said, yeah. Don't ask me anything about Newcastle, because Newcastle <laughs> were going through a terrible time off the pitch." Yeah. But. but it was a charity doing mm-hmm. and we spoke briefly and he was very nice to me and I was obviously in I was in awe. And then at match of the day there was an opportunity to interview him when he was doing one of his comet relief challenges. I think he was playing five aside for twenty-four yeah. hours or something. And it was up at uh, Media City, and I kind of bottled it. I went, I don't want to go up there. There'll be loads of people there. And so Stobbsy went and did it and brought me a little autograph back. And I always thought in the back of my mind, it'll come. I'll yeah, be yeah. able to get a chat machine. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then uh, lockdown comes, and uh, you know, I, I leave my job at Match of the Day. But in April this year, um, a friend of mine who works in the music industry uh, got in touch. This was during full lockdown. And he was arranging a, a birthday, surprise birthday Zoom for a mutual friend of ours. And this guy in the music industry had managed to get not only Alan Shearer on the Zoom call, but Steve Bruce. Oh, okay. So there was a, there was a dozen of us on the Zoom call, including Shearer and Bruce. Bruce had to download Zoom that night and signed in, <laughs> signed in as his wife, <laughs> Janet the Bruce.
0: Very Steve Bruce downloads Zoom.
1: <laughs> Bruce's Wi-Fi is shocking, but we eventually get him on. And the idea was they went, okay, catch scene as you work at Match of the Day magazine. Can you do a um, some sort of quiz for Pete, who's birthday it is, to take on Alan Shearer and, and we'll have a bit of fun. So I did a mastermind style quiz um, where I asked Alan Shearer questions about Alan Shearer. And he did very well. He got 12. And because uh, Bruce was there, I went, well, Steve, if you fancy doing some questions on Steve Bruce? And we'll see if you can get more than Alan Shearer. So we, I asked Steve Bruce some questions about Steve Bruce and he got 12. And then we had a tiebreaker, but it was just a it was a it was a great was fun fun night during, during lockdown when we weren't allowed out of the house. Mm. She was sat there drinking wine, and him and Bruce are talking about uh, going on holiday to their holiday resort in Portugal that they like to go, and um, the golf that they're missing out on. And it, so I, I got to ask him some mastermind style questions, and he was he was really good and said they were good questions, and it was really funny because one of the questions he pulled me up on. Um, one of my questions was how much did uh, Alan Shearer move to Blackburn for from Southampton in 1992? He said 3.6 million, and I said, that's incorrect, Alan, it was 3.3. We finished the quiz, and he pulled me up on it, and he went, it was 3.3 plus David Speedy, so that was 3.6. So I'll give him a, a
0: was <laughs> The man who knows. Oh, well, that's a great story. I, I, interviewed him, I interviewed him twice while at the MAG. I think with, he was doing stuff in Match Attacks, the card collection, for anyone who doesn't know what they are at the time, I did a video with him. Um, clearly wasn't in the mood that day. wasn't he wasn't the highest, wasn't the best moment of my of my generation. Doesn't suffer
1: fools, He Doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't.
0: No, well, I don't think he was in the mood at all that day. Um, we, we did a five-a-side thing. I said, "I'll oh, name the team and uh, yeah, give it a cool name." No, we're a kids' mag, and I think he said something like "attacking flair." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is this is not my day for here But then I interviewed again pre Well, last welcome actually, because I think Stobdy was there as well. Um, and he's been in the round tables there with Lineker and I think Dion Dublin, if you others, and even much nicer, much easier to get on with uh, at that point. Um, Matthew, can you get 12 questions about Steve Bruce right, do you think?
2: Uh, well, you I'd, be, <laughs> prepared, I'd, be prepared, I'd be prepared to give it a go. I definitely would get them right about Brian McClare. I know that. But, um, yeah. we'll, Steve, Steve, we'll do a Brian McClure one. And the, St- Steve. Yeah, Steve Bruce, I'd be interested to know, because obviously he was a big part of my childhood. So... Uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd give it a go, certainly. Okay, I've got
0: two questions, one, one each to finish on, on this Alan Shearer episode. Um, firstly, a, a serious one for Matthew, because um, I think that the biases will take over the catch. What made Shearer better? I and mean, then we talk about the 19 strikers, we've talked about it to death on this show, the, the plethora that was available to us at the point as an England fan. but why was Shearer better than the
2: rest? for you? Um, oh, blimey! I I just think he's an all-round game. yeah, well, I, I suppose it depends what you want. I mean, as Ketch said, he preferred Andy Cole. So I mean, if you were more of a fan of a, a sniffer in, in, in the early
1: nineties, oh, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, if you were into the sort of you know like an Ian Rush or Andy Cole type striker, you probably wouldn't like Shearer. But I mean, I just liked him because he, he was all-round game. You know, he could he was brilliant in the air. He had a brilliant yeah. shot. He could he, he could also poach you know he was a sniffer as well I mean it was like he was two or three players rolled into one sometimes you get players like Duncan Ferguson that are you know just great in the air and do little else although that's a little bit harsh on on big dunk but you know there are certain players that just do one job but with Shearer it was he was like the ultimate the ultimate attacking player wasn't he I mean he could we've seen him crack volleys in from the edge of the box long shots and 30 odd yards that brilliant goal against Everton oh, that always gets shown Goals, yeah um, you know he, he was brilliant in the air he could tap you know he was deadly from six yards eight yards I mean and he was hard as well. he was a hard man which is I think is good for a striker you know I mean strikers now are too easy to get pushed off the ball or whatever. And I know we discussed that he had a bit of a you know a couple of in- controversial incidents but I think all strikers need to be like that you know they need to be able to look after themselves
0: and fight as an example people forget what a nasty son of a son that uh, Dennis
2: Burkhan was beautiful player but you got to have that mean streak haven't you yeah, so I, you know, I think all to, all around package. That was that's why I used to think about Shearer. That's why he was so good, and that's why he scored so many goals. Because you know you, you look at people like Ian Rush. I know not nineties necessarily, but um, you know those sort of poachers. And the, yeah, they scored a lot of goals, but they were very one dimensional. Whereas you know Shearer, if he couldn't get one from six yards, he'd try his luck from thirty yards, you know, and uh, quite often it would come off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. He's to, a, you know, I'm a than Ferdinand man, obviously, but that's biased. But you know, Shearer very much up there for me. Um, Ketch, what I wanted to ask you, because like me, you're a sucker for a bit of nostalgic tat as well. I mean, Shear- I bet there's just tons of, I've got some sitting in my office now. What Alan Shearer nonsense do you have? Whether it be a Corinthian thing or something like that? Do you have any of that from, from Shearer's back catalog of the decade?
1: I've got a couple, I've got a couple of these Corinthians. Um... I think I've
0: got five. I counted them earlier. I've got three England Alan Shearers, a Blackburn and a Newcastle. I didn't even realise that till earlier. So
1: Yeah, I've got a same sign- match attacks. I've got a um, I've got Corinthians um, and yeah, and I've got I've got I've got video footage of him of me asking him mastermind questions. <laughs> Who needs, needs
0: anything more? Who needs anything? Yeah. Memories of McDonald's ad was that that was the nineties, was it? Where you'd, you'd come into McDonald's and sign a cheque and to get that kid's autograph. I mean, the cheque says it all about um, how what sort of era that was for sure. I've also got up there. It's like a it's almost like a doll of Alan Shearer. Like, I'll get it down in a second, but it's like a Barbie-sized doll. I think they were something to do with Corinthians. Didn't they call Kickstarter or something? I don't know. But yeah, there's lots of Alan Kellogg's did some stuff in me as well. But yeah, he was fairly on that because he was one of the big players in the 90s. All that brilliant nostalgia stuff I've got sitting in this office is full of Alan stuff. But I think we've uh, we've covered everything there from Big Al, other than probably mentioning the celebration, but that goes without saying. Uh, so thank you very much to my guests today um has been, been very enjoyable great to hear their tones as, as usual um coming to you first matthew chris where can people get in touch with you if they want to hear more from your good self
2: on the social uh, i had to think though because i haven't done this for so long it's, um, <laughs> twitter twitter handle at matthew j chris which is conveniently the same as my instagram handle as well which i know really annoys joel so i'm going to say it again yeah, Joel's got about seven because
0: he keeps getting banned so he has a great yeah, no play true, on, yeah. on, on how to use social media um, Ketch where can people t- talk to you about Newcastle shirts what you're about to do next your secret project which I'm not allowed to talk about which I really want to know about which we'll talk about at some point I'm sure where can they go on the Twitter
1: just type my surname into Twitter at Ketchel and then Instagram is at Football.
0: Brilliant. Good stuff. Thank you very much, gents. Um, this has been Alive and Kicking back again. I've been Ash Rose. Please do follow us at AK90s on Twitter and at ak 90 Pod on Instagram. Rate, review, subscribe, all the usual stuff. Keep us going as the number one 90s football podcast, the original. And until next time, keep it 90s.